0: We're now going to have our Bible reading. We are continuing through the book of Ephesians in the morning. So we are now in Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse 17. If you're using one of these Bibles, it's on page 1175. So Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
1: Well, it's good to see you this morning. I'm now on. There we are. It's good. Not tangled up in the mast this time. That's good, too. Uh, what a positive start to 2022, the simple things of life. Uh, if you've got a Bible there, get that open at Ephesians, um, particularly chapter 5 actually, get out open at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. We're going to be zooming in on those two verses particularly here this morning. I don't know if you uh, follow the news and you saw the Queen's New Year's Honours this this year. Um, she recognised the achievements of over 1,200 British people. Some of them you'll have heard of. Um, particularly people like professors Witty and Van Tam. I always want to say Van Dam, but that's the actor, isn't he? So Van Tam got recognized. That would have been a real shock if the actor had been recognized, but he wasn't. And so they became sirs, so they will be knighted. And there were various sports stars that were recognized as usual. Tom Daly, the dive, was recognized. Uh, tennis sensation. Emma Raducanu was also recognized for her achievements. Other actors were recognised. Daniel Craig, 007, was acknowledged for his fantastic achievements in that role. And June Brown, better known as Doc Cotton from EastEnders, also got an OBE at the age of 94. But she wasn't the oldest person on the list. The oldest person ever recognised, I think, is a magician from London called Harry Lewis. He was 102 when he was given his acknowledgement by the Queen. At the other end of the age spectrum, the youngest award was ever given this year. Um, Max Woozy, 12 years old. Many of you will have heard of him because he slept in a tent for more than 600 nights and raised more than £700,000 for the North Devon Hospice. But he wasn't the youngest, the youngest was 11. So I don't know if there's any 11 year olds in here today, but if you are, 11, 11, one. There we are. There's hope for you yet, but you might not be the youngest anymore. By this time next year, you can't be the youngest to ever get one. It was a boy again called Tobias Weller who had cerebral palsy and autism, but has raised a fantastic amount of money for charity. So all of them were honored by the queen. However, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, We not only have a queen, we also have a king. One of the things I want to think about as we start this new year together is who is it that King Jesus honours? Who is it that he esteems? What is it that he's looking for as he looks down from heaven and sees you and me here this morning? As he looks into our lives as he sees our hearts. What does it mean to belong to him? What does it mean for our lives to honour him and for him in some sense? to honour us. I don't know if you're here this morning, you call yourself a Christian, you might do, Uh, but I want to define that because it means different things to different people. So when I use the word Christian, what I mean by that is this, it's someone who's living daily for Jesus. He's their saviour. He died on the cross for their sins. He's their Lord. He's the one that they live for day by day and acknowledge as their King. He's the one who when this life is over, they know they'll be with for all eternity, not because they've tried hard, not because they went to church, not because they prayed, not because they gave money, but because Jesus Christ did everything that is needed for us to have eternal life. And that is an amazing thing. And if you can say yes to all of those things, and you know they are true in your heart, then you are not only a citizen of this country or wherever you were born, you are a citizen of heaven. And one day you will see the king and he will assess your life. What is it that he's looking for? What is it that he will honour on that day and every day? Well, his word tells us. It's in Isaiah, it's in chapter 66 and it's verse two. And it says these words. These are the ones I look on with favour. Those who are humble, and contrite in spirit and tremble at my word. The reason we give so much time over to God's word in this church whenever we gather is because we want to be in that position where we can hear his voice. We actually believe that as this word is read, as this word is preached faithfully, so God's voice is heard. He actually speaks to us. The same word and the voice that brought this whole world into being, this universe is actually at work in this place this morning and around this world as God's word is opened up. And so the power is there, but how are we transformed? How are we changed? Do you see what it says here? These are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at my word. You see, God does his part and he speaks, but actually our hearts can be in one of two places. At the start of the reading that Emily gave to us, it talks about the Gentiles being hardened in their hearts. And actually there are two types of hearts. There's a humble heart and there's a hard heart. The hard heart says, I know what God's word says. My conscience convicts me when I do things that I know are wrong. But deep down, I don't really care about that. I want to pick and choose how I live my life, my way. I want to make my own rules. Before I did this job, I was a teacher and for a number of years in a school very, very close to here. And that school got a new head. And he introduced this as a scheme. I'm interested in your reaction because it may have been maybe similar to mine as a teacher in that school. And it was this. He said, in this school, we have a lot of children with behavioral difficulties. That was true. He said, what we need to do is actually acknowledge they can't keep the rules. I was already beginning to get slightly anxious at that point. He said, what we need to do is let them write their own rules and then decide how often in the day they think they can actually keep them. I thought that was madness, but hey, I was a junior member of staff, so that was now the regime I was operating under. Let me give you an example. A boy turned up to my lesson with his own rules one of them stuck out in my mind. I will not play fight in lessons. Do you know what? i would kind of taken that as red. Do you know what I mean? Because there's a very fine line between play fight and actually someone getting beaten up in your lesson. So I'd always drawn the line up, just no fighting of any kind in lessons. Seemed like a sensible sort of approach. But he I will not play fight in lessons, attainable four out of six lessons. What? So if you then turn up at my lesson in the afternoon with four signatures for the morning, I was in deep trouble. It was like, okay, well, knock yourself out and anyone else providing us play. You know, it was, it was a disaster. However, what I learned from that is I think that's the way most of us actually wanna live. We wanna write our own rules, and when we break them, we wanna kinda of say, hey, you know, I just couldn't keep them all the time. It was impossibility. You know, I couldn't do that thing consistently. And the hard hearts, The rebel heart, the heart that isn't humble at all, basically self-justifies. Our lawyer kicks in and says, hey, if you face my circumstances, my life, you'd live the same way too. What does God want? Who does he honor? Who does he esteem? One who's humble in heart, the one who says, you know better than I do, all your word is good. Every word of it is for my good and your glory. And I know I can't keep it. And that's where contrite kicks in. Contrite's the word that means that it actually grieves us, it upsets us, it it disturbs us, and it, it brings us to our knees in brokenness when we just see how our lives don't match up to this. We're not looking around anymore at the person next to us thinking, well, at least I'm better than them. It's that honest place where you say, there's no one I know who fails more than me. There's no one I know who lets God down more than I know I do. That's the contrite heart. The rebel heart again just says, I don't care. You know, I I know what God says and I don't care at all. He can just accept me as I am. The contrite heart says, I know I need to change to become more like Jesus. And I know that I can't on my own, I need him. I wanna know him and then know him more. And so if you wanna know who it is that God honors this year, there it is. These are the ones that I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at my word. Amazingly, those are the ones that God honours and amazingly, you can be one of those people by his spirit. It's why Jesus came. He doesn't run from us in our brokenness. He doesn't run from us in our sinfulness. He came for those moments. He came into this world for us at our worst to rescue us. And so before we get into next week, where the rebel heart, mine, yours will be pushing back as we look at sex and immorality, as we look at money and greed, those kind of things where we want to push back. This morning, I always want to look at two verses with you, which get to the heart of what we're all about. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians simply says this, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Two verses this week and just two points. We believe in living a life of love, following our Father's example and walking our Savior's path. Those two things. Let's dive into the first one based on verse 1 follow God's example. We believe in following our father's example. Children often look and sound a bit like their parents, don't they? I look and sound a bit like my dad. If you saw him, you'd better pick him out of a lineup fairly successfully, I think. And my brother looks even more like him. I look a bit more like the Polish side of my family. Um, But there's still traces of my dad. You can see my granddad in me particularly uh, from my mum's side of the family. Um, we often say that, don't we? It's the chip off the old block, or doesn't he look like his father? That sort of thing. I don't know if you used to like the Tom and Jerry cartoons. I think ever since they've been out, every generation has grown up on a bit of Tom and Jerry. And even young children in the church love a bit of Tom and Jerry. Do you remember those two, Spike and Tyke? Do you remember them? Like Tyke's just like a mini version of his dad, isn't he? Everywhere he goes, they just look similar. He tries to walk like him, and talk like him, and do the stuff that his dad does. It's like one's Max and one's miniature. Spike and Tyke. And Spike is incredibly proud of Tyke. Do you remember that? Do you remember his catchphrase? That my boy. You remember that? Every time he does something, no matter how small, how insignificant, especially if he stands up to the cat, you know, that my boy. Do you know what? As God looks down from heaven, that is the attitude he has towards his children. I think there's a part of us that lies to ourselves and say, God must be very disappointed in me because I am extremely disappointed in myself. Do you're in a voice not tell you that? I battle that voice every day of my life. God must be disappointed in me because I am disappointed in myself. And yet when I read God's word, you know, that's not what I find. I find a God who's a father. I find a God who loves like no other. I find a God who actually wants to reward his children and bless them and loves like no other. Do you see what it says here? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. You know, until we believe that about God, we will keep going awry. If you belong to God through Jesus Christ, you are a dearly loved child. I love the word beloved. You're a beloved child. That's where we began actually right the way back in Ephesians with the Lord's unbreakable love for us. Do you remember these words? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? every spiritual blessing in Christ. You lack nothing. He's given you everything that you need. Why? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight. That's how he looks on you and sees you. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was 17. I'd grown up with the gospel since I was in nappies. I remember hearing it when I was six. But at some point, you need that contrite heart, that humble heart that takes on board the gospel and knows the love of God. And one Easter time, God spoke to me powerfully and he humbled me and he brought me down. And soon afterwards, I read a book called The Fight by John White about the Christian life. I love the title even now, The Fight. It's been nothing less for me every day since. The Fight. And the first chapter included these words that blew my mind. God looks on you as if you have never sinned and will never sin. Now, if you were like me and you were coming out of a time where you basically lived for yourself and for pleasure, where you just enjoyed your life as much as you could in all sorts of things the Bible says aren't right, To think that God could ever look on me as if I had never sinned was amazing. But the longer I've walked as a Christian and the more I've carried on sinning in different ways, the more amazing it is to me, he looks at me as if I will never sin. Because not a day goes by without it. How is that possible? How can God look on people like you and me as if we have never sinned and will never sin? As if we share the same perfection as Jesus? Well, because he looks on us in Christ. He looks on us in his perfect son. He sees us in him and he loves us. What does it say here? He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in love. What motivated God to rescue you? Nothing to do with you at all. He didn't think you were better than others. He didn't think you were more cute. He didn't go through like might look for a dog or a puppy and kind of scroll through them all till you find the one that's just your type. No, no. In love. All out of his heart of love. He adopted you. He adopted you. Do you know that's an amazing thing? doing some reading this week about the ancient world and their attitude to children. Do you know in the ancient world it wasn't unusual at all to find babies in the rubbish. If you didn't want a child when they were born, you threw them out with the rubbish. It wouldn't have particularly shocked you to have seen a baby in the rubbish left there to die. That would have been quite normal as you walked around gentile cities where babies were just disregarded, unwanted, a burden, dying in the trash. In love, God predestined you for adoption. He saw you and me in the midst of our sin in the rubbish that that creates all around our lives, the ways it damages us, the darkness it brings to others. And in that moment where you were dying in your sin, in love, He reached out to you. And He not only lifted you out of the rubbish, He brought you into his family and gave you the rights of sonship. The full rights of Jesus Christ are yours. Everything that is Jesus by right, he shares with you. His home in heaven is your home. His relationship with his father is your relationship. You have full access. The riches of heaven, every spiritual blessing are yours in Christ. That's what he's done for you and for me, because he loves like no other. What does he say? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. He wants us to go out into this world this year, 2022, and share that same love with others. To get alongside others in their brokenness. Not judging them. Not thinking we're better than them not thinking it's someone else's problem. One of the things I most love about Susan is it's never someone else's problem. The number of times we stop the car to check someone's all right, I'm embarrassed. That's my reaction, I wanna drive by. No, they'll be fine, I always say that. No, no, they'll be fine, they'll be fine. No, no, we've stopped, Uh uh-oh. And I got my head down, and she's yelling out the window, you all right? We've chased dogs around the neighborhood. Not sure the dog's all right. Then I read the Good Samaritan. What do I see? People like me walking by on the other side thinking it's someone else's problem. What do I see? see a good Samaritan who stops to check and brings the love of God to someone who would have been their enemy, who would have actually wished them dead. Be imitated of God, Headley Park Church my brothers and sisters here. Take that love into your workplaces, into your neighbourhoods, into the communities around here. Imitate God as dearly loved children. But secondly here, look at this. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering to God. The second point here, we believe in living a life of love. Walking our Saviour's path. Christmas this year, I bought myself a gift. Look at it, stunning. I refer to it as Superwatch, just to annoy Susan. And um, Superwatch tells me stuff about myself day and night. Except I'm no longer allowed to wear it at night, uh, so I have to take it off. Uh, I learned before it was banned two things about myself from this watch. One is actually I sleep better than I realized. I thought I was a terrible sleeper till I wore this watch. And then I found I'm about average, which to be fair, I would settle for. That tells me when I'm deeply asleep and sleeping lightly, well, averaged out, I'm a pretty average sleeper, which was better than I thought. However, this was less good, was that I found out I do even less exercise than I realized. Uh, I do no formal exercise, but I've always kind of convinced myself I'm still fit despite not doing any. Uh, I'm just walking around the neighbourhood, it, I'm trying not to walk up and down this platform this morning just to get steps in. Do you know what I mean? It's very tempting to kind of go right, hello, this way and that, just <laughs> and then quickly check how I'm doing. So I'm standing still this morning. I'm being very disciplined uh, because I don't want to just be getting steps in while I preach. Uh, but I found out I do far fewer steps than I actually realised. So that, that's been a wake up call for me. Why am I telling you this? You might well be wondering, well, it's because if you're following in a different version of scripture, you'll know that the word for walk and live are actually the same. So if you're following, some of you do, um, in a King James Version or in um, the English Standard Version, it will put the word walk where the NLV puts life. Life and walk in the Bible are the same sort of word and it's the same sort of concept. The life actually happens at a walking place. My mate Terry came to the last men's breakfast and the speaker asked, how are you doing? You know, if someone's asking you that question, how would you kind of sum up how, how, how your life's going at the moment? And his hand was the first up and he just went plodding on. I don't realise what a good biblical answer that is. Plodding on. That's what we do, isn't it? Generally, we're plodders. We're going pretty slowly, but we're going somewhere. And the big question scripturally for all of us is, as we walk on through life, as we walk a life of love, as we walk and share the love of God, where is our life going? What what are we doing with the life that's been entrusted to us? So in Ephesians, it has these verses, it says, walk in the way of love. That's another way of translating verse we looked at. It says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, but instead walk as children of light. But where are we heading? Where are we going as we plod on? Do you remember these words of Jesus? Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So a real warning to us, isn't it? We live in a culture that kind of says, well, all roads lead to God. And if there is a God, he'll be forgiving. And it doesn't matter what you really believe or how you live. Don't believe the lie. The Bible's very clear. There's a narrow gate. There's a way to know God. And Jesus came as that narrow gate, the way into the kingdom, the way through, that we might live for God in that way. Don't miss that. How do you know if you're walking down that narrow path? How do you know that you're going in the right direction? Well, Jesus told us. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And Paul obviously took those words seriously. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Walk that way, walk that path, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That was why Christ came. We've just had our Christmas services when we remember that he entered this world as a baby, fully God, fully human. But the reason that he came wasn't just to be an example to us. It wasn't just to teach amazing truths to us. It wasn't just to explain things to us. He came in the end to give himself up for us. That was why he came. He came to die as one of us. Before his father, having lived a holy and blameless life, the knife we never could, having lived every single day for the glory of God and the good of others, Jesus died on the cross for us. He gave himself up for us. He gave everything so that people like you and me could come into his family and live for him. It is an absolutely astounding act of love. There was no one else good enough. No one else who could pay the price of sin. But out of love, He paid my debt. Out of love, He paid your debt. And He wants us to give ourselves up in the service of His Father, following the way of the cross. You see, what Jesus did was pleasing to his father as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's an Old Testament language of offerings and Jesus offered his very body, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And he wants us to live for him, to give ourselves up to God, to give ourselves over to his love. I was struck recently by this quote by Amy Carmichael. She said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. She was a great missionary. She knew. She knew you can give from all sorts of motivations. You can give selfishly. You can give because you want something back. It doesn't have to be love. But if you really love someone, husband or a wife, a child, a friend, a neighbor, your mum and your dad. Love in the end gives. And it gives. And it gives again. I don't know if any of you saw this story connected to the honours of this, this year. Uh, there's a guy out there called Jimmy, 20 years old. He was walking back late one night, he works I think in a restaurant. And he was walking back with a colleague near London Bridge and he heard someone screaming in the waters below. He and his colleague jumped in to try and rescue the lady that was drowning. She was rescued. His colleague was rescued. Jimmy was found six hours later, drowned. His family felt his sacrifice should have been acknowledged, that his life was worth something, that he was missed off the list. Can I say this to you? You may never do something that heroic in your life, but the Bible says that the smallest things we do from love. The smallest acts of kindness. The times where we hold our tongues. The times where we put others ahead of ourselves. The times where we're generous, kind, gracious. The Lord sees them all. He doesn't miss one thing. And one day you're going to see the King. And on that day, he's gonna assess your life. Let me tell you this. He's not out to get you. He's out to bless and reward you. And you know what will be rewarded on that day? Love. Brothers and sisters, imitate your father in heaven as dearly loved children. And walk the Savior's path That others might see his love this year and give the glory to him. Let me pray. Lord God, it is humbling when we remember what Jesus Christ gave for us. He gave up everything, that we might even talk with you this morning as our Father in heaven and hallow your name. Lord, the truth is so often we live selfishly, we have rebellious, hard hearts, and we live like others around us in the futility of their thinking. Forgive us Lord. Help us to really believe that we are dearly loved children, rescued and redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus. Help us to live out that identity in this world around us that is so broken, where people are so lost and hurting, and help us to bring your hope and your healing to our workplaces, our neighbourhoods, our homes, this community. Lord, wherever you send us, help us to remember who we are in Jesus. For we ask these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.